0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. My name is Dr. Harlan Betts, and this eighth season of Wisdom from Above is taking an in-depth look at the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Today's episode is titled, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. A car was stalled at a very busy lighted intersection. A long line of cars was building up behind the stalled car. Obviously frustrated, the lady got out of her stalled car and lifted the hood, with hopes that somehow, almost miraculously, there would be some evident problem or some imminent help. In the meantime, the driver in the car behind her started laying on his horn And he continued to honk his horn incessantly. Finally, the lady walked back to the honking driver and calmly said to him, If you would kindly fix my car for me, I would be glad to continue to honk your horn for you. (laughs) You know, sometimes as we're working our way through a book of the Bible, we need to stop for a moment and do a thorough checkup. If we don't stop and do a checkup, we may find ourselves stalling out. Excuse me. Often when I'm on a trip to a new destination, I'll check my Google Maps to get a big picture of where I'm going. And I'll use my GPS to make sure I don't get lost. Well, as critical as we go through the book of the Bible, any book of the Bible, that we get a big picture so we don't miss the forest for all the trees. And it's important that we interpret the Bible correctly in its literal natural sense so we don't go the wrong direction and miss the meaning. Therefore, I want to take just a moment to look at the overall structure that drives this book of Revelation. In this book, God's revelation to John is selective and successive first, the past, the vision of Christ, seven parts of the body. Second, the present, the letters to the churches, seven churches addressed. And then thirdly, the future, the tribulation with seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Then the second coming, millennial reign, new heaven and new earth. We're now ready to start investigating this third section of the book of Revelation, which is all about things which shall take place in the future. It begins with the tribulation judgments. I believe these judgments are chronologically first the seal judgments. Then the trumpet judgments. Finally, the bowl judgments. Each of these series of judgments like birth pangs, brings you right up to the point where you think, this is it. Christ is going to return, but he doesn't. And then a new series starts, and by the end of that second series of judgment you think, this is it. Christ is going to return, but he doesn't. And then it's the third series of judges, and it brings you right up to the end, and you think he's going to return, and he does. So, we have the seals, which are the beginning of birth pangs in the first half. The trumpet judgments, which is the great tribulation in the middle to second half. And then the bowl judgments at the end of the tribulation. In the seal judgments, a fourth of the earth is affected. and the trumpet judgments, a third of the earth is affected. And in the bold judgments, all of the earth is affected. When I was in grade school, we studied comparatives and superlatives, and I learned a little ditty that went like this. Good, better, best, never let it rest until the good and better are the best. Well, the comparatives and the superlatives and the tribulation judgments are just the opposite. I like to put it this way bad, worse, worst never before so cursed trib judgments escalate from bad to worse to worst the sealed judgments are bad and you think this is it but it's not then the trumpet judgments are worse and you think this is it but it's not then the bold judgments are the worst and you think this is it and it is, boom the tribulation comes to a climactic end with the battle of Armageddon and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and glory. There are three major passages of Scripture predicting the second coming. For structure, about the second coming, you would go to Daniel's 77s in Daniel chapter 9. For chronology, you would go to Matthew's Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 1-31. For detail, you'd go to the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 19. Here in the book of Revelation, in chapters 4 through 19, there is the increasing severity of judgments, the increasing urgency of man's response, the increasing fervency of the saints' prayers, and the increasing anticipation of Christ's coming. The format of Revelation four nineteen is seal judgments, then trumpet judgments, then bowl judgments. But in each case, you have first a heavenly prelude, then judgments one through six, then an earthly parenthesis, then judgment seven, and a postlude. This brings us to Revelation chapter six. We hear the thunder of distant hoofbeats, and we are introduced to. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Just like in the old westerns, the sound of hoofbeats in the distance often signaled bad news for the bad guys or sad news for the good guys. The first seal, a white horse. Revelation 6, 1 and 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The white horse is the counterfeit Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, we're warned about false religion and false peace. And also we're warned in Matthew 24 about false Christ. You'll notice that this rider on the white horse has a bow. Not a sword, but a bow. And no arrows are mentioned. Possibly it's a bloodless piece. The rider has a crown, not of authority, but of victory. Possibly a welcome piece. The white horse is conquering. Has a ten-nation confederacy. There's world peace and, and, and enforced peace and a kind of a cold war. And then there's and so we see that the white horse has the false Christ, the counterfeit Christ, coming to conquer and to control. To conquer, first of all, he makes a treaty with Israel, Daniel nine, twenty six to twenty seven, which provides a temporary peace. But he also is coming to control. In this treaty with Israel is a counterfeit piece, And he will break the treaty after three and a half years. We read a little bit more about him in Second Thessalonians 2. But we are warned in the scripture by Jesus. Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So I believe there are three questions that we should ask so we don't get caught up in following a cult, or a false Christ? Number one, is the Bible recognized and taught as inspired, inerrant, and authoritative? Number two, is Jesus Christ recognized and worshipped as Savior and God? Number three, is participation in a local church encouraged and practiced? So we have the white horse, which is the counterfeit Christ. Then the second seal is a red horse, verses 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So the red horse equals war. We read about this in Matthew 24, verse 6. Wars and rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You notice also it says this writer has a large sword. In John's day, there were no weapons of mass destruction such as we have today. There were no missiles, no nuclear warheads, no chemical warheads, no biological weapons that would threaten to destroy life on earth. The worst thing John could say was that this writer had a large sword, this was his way of referring to weapons of mass destruction. We're already seeing far more wars than we would like to see. But wars will increase in their frequency and intensity from now all the way through and during the tribulation. We're also seeing more and more countries developing weapons of mass destruction, stockpiling arsenals to be used against others. If you were hoping that the United Nations could bring about world peace, then you're probably a little sad at this point. You see, here in this passage alone, we have very clear prophetic word as to the failure of the United Nations to provide lasting world peace. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The Antichrist will be the world-acknowledged guardian and protector of Israel for the first three and a half years of the Tribulation. In spite of all the wars taking place, Israel will experience relative peace for the first three and a half years because she'll be protected by the Antichrist. But then, in the middle of the seven-year period of the Tribulation, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, Russia will invade Israel from the north, along with some of her allies from the east, possibly Iran or Iraq. But God will supernaturally destroy the Russian army. The Antichrist will likely take credit for the supernatural destruction and use that to support his claim to be God, and he'll set up his headquarters in Jerusalem. The third seal is a black horse. Verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of wheat for a a barley, or barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The black horse is famine. We read about that in Matthew 24, 7, that there will be a great famine. Now normally a denarius, which is one day's wages, could purchase 8 quarts of wheat or 24 quarts of barley. But here, it is prophesied that the cost of the food has increased eightfold. This translates into changing a $50 grocery bill to a $400 grocery bill or changing a $100 grocery bill to an $800 grocery bill. Certainly, Famine could be one reason for this dramatic increase in costs. But the reference to scales and wages leads one to believe that this could also be a reference to runaway inflation and economic upheaval. We've seen this kind of cycle in the past inflation leading to recession, leading to depression. This leads to money being basically worthless. Whether the cause is inflation or famine, the results are the same. There will be problems of hunger, malnutrition, starvation, and death. There will be poverty in the midst of plenty. Even the necessities of life will be beyond the reach of most people. There will be a few haves, and there will be many, many have-nots. This could set the stage for the Antichrist economic reform talked about in Revelation 13. We'll get to that later. The fourth seal is found in verses 7 and 8. It's a pale horse. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So the pale horse's death, we read about this in Matthew 24, 8 and 9, and verses 21 and 22. The horse is pale and ashen like dead grass. This horse looks like death warmed over. Death claims the material part of man. Hades claims the immaterial part of man. The fact that Hades follows death in this passage seems to indicate these judgments are impacting the unsaved. A believer who dies will not go to Hades. There are four executioners highlighted in these verses the sword or war, gang wars, ethnic cleansing, terrorist attacks, suicide bombing, governmental massacres, mob riots, etc. Hunger or famine, and this will be drought and famine, the land is dry and cracked and barren, little children have distended stomachs, spindly arms and legs, hollow eyes, pestilence or disease. Sanitation breaks down, safe drinking water is not available, food is scarce. Then you have dysentery and typhoid and cholera and other disease spreading. In addition, there will be the devastating effects of biological or chemical warfare. And then wild animals, unrestrained carnivores, with drought and famine and loss of vegetation, wild animals will turn increasingly to human beings as their quarry and prey. But the result, according to this passage is one-fourth of the world's population will be destroyed. That's about 1.5 billion, with a B, 1.5 billion people killed. This is really a part of God's plan, seen over and over throughout the Scripture, a plan where God allows men and women to make choices, and then to experience the natural consequence of those choices. Whatever they sow... That they'll also reap. But in the tribulation it will be even more clearly evident because God will allow these human beings to act without restraint so people can see the terrible outcome. Those who choose immorality will experience heartache and sexually transmitted disease. Those who choose selfishness will experience anarchy, robberies, rapes, and murder. Murder. Those who choose luxury and greed will see runaway inflation and depression. Those who choose to believe in a lie and reject Christ will be deluded and with a powerful lie and follow the Antichrist. So man is given freedom to choose. He chooses wrongly and he suffers the consequences of it. Then we come to the fifth seal in verses 9-11. through 11. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. So the souls of the martyrs, are the martyred tribulation saints. This is touched on in Matthew 24, 9-14. But the revelation we see here in this fifth seal has switched to the heavenlies, and we see souls of martyrs near the altar before the throne of God. So it's clear that there's a great soul harvest during this first half of the tribulation, spoken of uh, in the next chapter, in the chap- Revelation 7-9. Many people come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and place their faith in Jesus as their own personal Savior during the Tribulation. These believers will be murdered and martyred because of their commitment to the Word of God and their confession of faith in Christ. Some of them will be exposed because of their refusal to worship the beast, Revelation 13, 11-15. Some of them will be exposed because of their refusal to wear the mark, of the beast. These martyr believers are praying for vengeance and justice. Why aren't they praying for forgiveness? Because this is no longer an age in which God patiently endures the injustices of men. The tribulation is the time of judgment, although there is grace shown and many come to Christ. But these are days when evildoers will be called into account for their crimes. The wrath of God is being poured out upon them in judgments. The answer of God is a little surprising when they are asking God to bring judgment and to protect the saints who are being persecuted. God says, wait, there's still more to be martyred. There are other believers yet to be killed. Now remember, nothing happens to God's children without God's permission. He doesn't will it, but he allows it. God has a hedge about us. We read about that in Job 1.10. The man or woman of God is indestructible until God's will for them on earth is finished. Then we come to the sixth seal, cosmic disturbances in verses 12 to 17. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll, when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Wow! The cosmic disturbances that are spoken of here. There's physical and celestial terror. For the earth, there's a great earthquake shaking the earth. For the sun is darkened as sackcloth, darkening the earth. The moon appears to be reddened as blood, the stars are falling to the earth in meteor showers. The sky appears to be splitting apart and rolling up for Christ's return. These cataclysmic phenomena will, be the result of, will, will result in dust and ash thrown into the sky by earthquakes and volcanoes. They could also result in dust and ice thrown up by the mass detonation of nuclear weapons. This could be what Carl... Sagan, astronomer Carl Sagan, dubbed nuclear winter. I want to wrap this episode up with some personal applications, drawing first of all from verses 15 through 17. In verse 15, there's a revelation. And the kings of the earth, the great men and the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us or hide us. These cataclysmic changes are so dramatic that kings and princes and generals and the mighty and the slave and the free try to hide in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Panic seizes the hearts of all, fear grips the minds of all. The judgment of God is impartial. Rich or poor, slave or free, all unbelievers face the wrath of the Lamb. There are no exceptions. There's no escape. There's no place to hide. As Nikita Khrushchev once said in thinking about the devastating effects of the weapons of mass destruction, the survivors will envy the dead. Then we see the recognition in verse 16. They say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. These unbelievers recognize that this is the judgment of God and the wrath of the Lamb, the Lamb that they rejected. They recognize that this is a judgment upon them for their rejection of the Lamb and for their persecution of the saints. Then in verse 17, for the great day of His wrath has come. They think it is the end of the world as they have known it. And it is. But instead of turning to God and trusting in Jesus and repenting of sin and receiving eternal life they turn away from God in fear and rebellion and seek death but they can't escape his judgment why the great day of his wrath has come and then there's a realization verse 17 who is able to stand can you answer that question who is able to stand in this day of the wrath wrath of the Lamb. The one who can stand is the one who is trusting in the Lamb, in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6 highlights the anticipation of Christ's return, the fervency of the saints' prayers, the severity of God's judgment, the blindness of men's heart, the urgency of man's response. Today is the day of grace. The tribulation, which will follow the rapture, is a day of wrath. What will it be for you? If you're not sure you're going to heaven, if you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus, if you've not established a personal relationship with God, if you're not yet a child of God, today is the day of salvation. The rapture could come at any moment. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll be left behind. You'll go into the tribulation. And you don't want to go into the tribulation. It'll not, it won't won't be a party. It won't be a picnic. It will be a time of horrific judgment and cataclysmic tribulation. Don't be left behind. God doesn't want you to go through this time of great tribulation and the outpouring of His wrath. That's why He sent His Son. That's why Christ came for you. That's why Christ died for you. That you might believe in Him and have eternal life and live with God and experiencing the joy of that relationship with God and the eternal life that only He can give. Believers, we need to get the word out. We need to sound a warning. We need to share the gospel. We need to manifest the love of God. Thank you, my friends, for joining me in this episode of Wisdom from Above. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your family and your friends. I truly appreciate what you're doing to help me grow this podcast outreach. I look forward to meeting with you again next week as we continue our study of the book of Revelation. Until then, I wish you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you so much for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.